Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge that you're here and you're good. That's the most real thing, that you're here and that you're good. So all the other things that are real, all the pain and the grief and the joy, the excitement and the frustration, all the other real stuff, Lord, you put it in context where you're most real and your goodness is first, foremost, and your goodness will always be. So help us make that the basis of our hope today. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Claire Booth Luce, I don't know if you know that name, one of the most influential women of the 20th century. She was a congresswoman, author, speaker, devout Roman Catholic. She said this. Tell me if you agree. There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Do you agree or disagree with that? No hopeless situations, just people who get hopeless about situations. Whether you agree or disagree with that statement, it depends on your definition of hope. Depends on how you define it. I mean, if you really believed with Claire that there's no such thing as a hopeless situation, if you really said that and believed it, you, you got to have like a really big working mental image of hope in your mind. Um, your working picture of hope would have to be more real than all possible tragedy, grief, and loss. So I hear, I hear this woman saying this, there are no hopeless situations, only people who've grown hopeless. I'm like, man, that's, I, don't, I don't know that I have the equity <laughs> in myself to make that statement and always believe it. Really, like, come on, Claire. Uh, so what is, what is hope? Let's, let's just start there. What, what are we talking about when we talk about hope? And then what is hopelessness? So hope, I'll have a fun little illustration in a moment. Hope is that feeling of anticipating a future that's better than now, right? Uh, it's, it usually has complicated emotions tied to it, ranging from like excitement to uh, uncertainty or a mixture, and it's always tense. It's always tense. I want you to remember that word. Hope is tense. In fact, one of the Hebrew words in the Bible for hope is a word that comes from a tense chord being pulled taut. So it comes from uh, the word cord, and, um, so, and, and the idea is there's a tension that needs release. This is hope. That's hope. So um, I'm, uh, I'm going to channel my inner youth pastor right now, 
uh, go back to my 90s, my 90s experience, and I'm going to call, uh, Jason, would you like to participate in a physical object lesson? And then anyone else, would you, anyone else? Oh, come on, Christian. So, so um, just to illustrate hope and, and to relive my glory days as a youth camp director, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the cord. Here's the cord of hope. And, and um, Jason, why don't you be the present? Sure. <laughs> Christmas present. And, and, and you be the future. So if you could, um, like, pull it really hard. <laughs> uh, pull it really harder. Like, so, right? So you see this part, guys. This part, what's happening there is the Hebrew concept of hope. There's a tension. It's actually the word kaval, which means cord kaval is to hope, and it's the same. So if you think about a power line that's tight, or like even a guitar string that makes music, these things all kind of come from this idea of hope. So let's, let's get a lot of hope going. Pull, pull. The future, the future is pulling against, what's, who's stronger, the present or the future? This future, so this is like present, present circumstance versus some future idea of a circumstance. Keep pulling. Let's get hope going. All right. Thank you, guys. That's good. I did set you up. So, so, so uh, that, that tension, that tension is what the Bible means by hope. Hope is this anticipation, this quivering waiting it's actually the same word that's translated wait. So when you read wait on the Lord, same word, hope in the Lord, same, same word. Um, so hope is this state of waiting. Uh, and, and you saw, you know, if Jason was the present, he's a pretty burly present situation. Our, our present situations seem all, like everything. Uh, and, then you, and then you have different things that you envision for the future. And sometimes it's not enough to pull you out of the present. So, so that's the idea of, of hope, and it's not easy. By definition, it's tense. If you don't have a working mental picture of the future, if you don't have a legit future in your mind that's better than the present, uh, then it's really hard to be pulled forward in life, really hard to have hope. And, and that's where we get to hopelessness, right? Hopelessness is when the future just can't, can't stand up to the present. That's hopeless. And that's a real struggle for many of us. A lot of us live there. Probably the majority of us in the room right now are struggling. The cord maybe is loose and the future is letting go and you just can't really see it. Um, especially in the aftermath of everything we've experienced in 2020 and 2021, we are a global culture uh, seduced by hopelessness right now. And we're figuring out how to put our brains and our minds back together. Seriously, I want to acknowledge those of us, those of you in our Park Hill Church family who've tragically lost brothers, fathers, multiple friends in the last year alone. In this church, uh, there are many stories here of grief and loss. I think of our community leaders, two of them, who lost a younger sibling this year in a tragic car accident, and she's figuring out how to come into Thanksgiving and now come into Christmas with empty space where there was once like a hug. It's just nothing there. Like how do you, how do you prepare for that empty space? How do you hold on to hope in light of that loss? 
Uh, I want to acknowledge another group of people who uniquely struggle against hopelessness. And statistically, this group is dozens, if not a hundred or so, of you in this room. Um, And that is people living with anxiety and depression and serious mental illnesses. If hope is the ability to hold tension in your mental picture for a better future, then people with mental health issues are at a unique disadvantage which can feel especially hopeless. Your present is everything. The future is always lying to you. And on top of that internal battle, for those that are dealing with anxiety and depression and unseen mental illnesses, many of you are likely here right now around one another. On top of that internal battle, mental health issues are basically invisible externally. It's not just an internal problem. It's an external one. Because it's not something everyone around you is talking about, and that can feel isolating, which magnifies hopelessness. And the current stat is an estimated one in five adults experience mental health issues in some way every single year. One in five right now. Every row, there's at least one right here. About one in 10 will suffer from a major depressive illness every year, resulting in mood loss, insomnia, eating disorder, suicidality, and women are twice as likely as men to suffer these things. And the average onset is mid-20s. And tragically, less than half of those of us who suffer from those things, less than half, 46% are actually aware of it or or in a community where they can receive treatment, Um, For whatever reason, they're feeling ignored, living alone, whatever. Without hope. And so I, I, I spend a few minutes talking about mental health because it's a real daily battle for like probably the largest minority in any given space. And, and listen, you get up in the morning every day. So many of you do just to fight for the next moment. I have so much respect for you even though you're constantly misunderstood by those who don't struggle in the same way. So I want to say, well done. You are here and you belong. And if I'm describing you at all right now, please do not hide in this church. Don't be alone in your struggle. We want to be, we want to be real community with you, like actual family, not just a church vision statement family, but like real in your life, on your phone family. Because humans are made for transparent community. That's where we find healing. We're made for it. We've fallen from it. And so healing comes when we re-engage transparency. Um, The community of Jesus is a powerful house of healing. So whatever you're struggling with, so now zooming out from mental health, zooming out from grief and loss and death and all of the things, maybe you've lost a job, whatever you're struggling with, we want our communities We want this church and the communities here to be places of compassion and honesty and and hope. We want want that cord to to get tight and and for communication to flow freely and hope to be alive in your life. Even though in one sense our struggles are very different from each other, in in a bigger sense, we are all the same. We're all the same. Every person in this room wakes up every day instinctively hungry for hope. To hold that cord in tension. To lock the other end of the cord into a bright future that is believable. This is part of being human. You could say that we live on it. We live on hope. It literally makes us live. 
Even people who are far from God understand this. Have you ever seen that movie? You can literally fill in 100 movies where someone's fighting for their life in the hospital and the family's like, doctor, what do we do? What does she need? Is there anything we can do? And the doctor says, at this point, the main thing she needs is hope. Hope heals. It pulls you forward into life. And when we're emotionally healthy, we call ourselves hopeful. And by that we mean, right now, it's easier to imagine a brighter future. Right now. That's what we mean. Everyone wants this. But here's our problem. Our problem is, we have, all of us, our own ideas of what a bright future looks like. We have our own ideas. We hear other narratives. And we believe many of them. If we're totally honest, on a Tuesday morning or Thursday night or Friday night, our ideal future might look like a changing circuit. might look at a number of things. Maybe a new relationship status. You're hanging out on Friday night. You're like, maybe there's a new relationship here for me. And, you're, and that's pulling you forward. Or maybe it's a bigger bank account balance. That's pulling you forward. Like it's gonna, it's gonna hit that mark. Or there's some other place you wanna be. As soon as I can be there, it's gonna be great. And listen, all those circumstances, relationship, money, all those things are great. We use them. They're wonderful. But that's precisely the problem. They're just circumstances. Right? They're all just circumstances. So when circumstances go south, you're not going to find lasting hope from another circumstance because that one could also go south. That's what circumstances do. Am I right? And so if you just put a present circumstance at the end of your cord of hope and try to lock it into a future circumstance that may or may not be permanent, it's a self-defeating cycle. And we realize quickly, we have to connect our hope to something bigger than a circumstance. We have to. Because circumstances change. According to Jesus and the writers of the Bible, real hope is not just about an ideal circumstance that comes in the future, maybe. No, hope is about a person. Not a circumstance, it's a person. Jesus, who keeps all his promises to you about your future. To have real hope means to have a new heart that trusts Jesus' promises over and above life circumstances. Do you understand? So important. Ashley read from Hebrews 6 a few minutes ago. We're going to walk through that passage now. And then I'll give some closing thoughts uh, pastorally on how we can live this out as a church. So why Hebrews 6? Because Hebrews 6 is this unique place in Scripture that describes the basis of hope. The real one, not the circumstantial one. Hebrews 6 describes the only strong thing, the only thing strong enough to keep hope alive and quivering and tense, to keep the rope in the air. The only thing. Through any circumstance, you're in. So even if Jason was four times bigger and eight times stronger, we have something on the other end, according to Hebrews, that is infinitely more. And, and so Hebrews 6.13 says it like this. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, that's hope, that's connecting his cord to God, Abraham received what he promised. So right there, that is it. That's the foundation of lasting hope. The apostle Peter, 
in 1 Peter 1, he calls this living hope. It's different than all the other hopes that are circumstantial and not alive. This is the one that's actually breathing and living and makes you alive at the last day. So uh, the, here's what's going on here. Um, this, whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know exactly who it was. It's one of the anonymous books. The author of Hebrews is pointing back to Genesis 22. You know that story where Abraham is being called by God to make the ultimate loving sacrifice. It's this moment where God says, oh my goodness. And no, God literally says, oh my God. He swears on himself. It says he swears on himself. God says, oh my God, in this moment. And, and, And I love that. It says he swears on his name. And what is, God's like, what just happened by God, I cannot believe And so why is he doing this? It's this incredible moment where God really wants Abraham to know that God will bless him. He really wants him to know that God will rescue not only him, but a whole family of international multi-ethnic people groups into the church. The family, God's gonna do this. And, and he really wants Abraham to know. So he's like, by God, I'm gonna do this. And I'm God, is what he's saying. And the writers, so the writers of Hebrew is, is living, the writer of Hebrew is, li- is living in the time of Jesus, looking back at the time of Abraham, and he's like, God did it. God did arrive as a human baby in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, taught us how to live, and then died for our sins and rose from the dead to offer resurrection hope to everyone who trusts. The promise Abraham hoped for has come in this Jesus. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying, and and. After the book was written, today, 2,000 years after Hebrews was written, it continues to be fulfilled. The church here in San Diego and in LA and New York and Botswana and Zimbabwe and New Zealand and Australia, the church of Jesus, of every language, is full of Abraham's children by faith, filled with the Spirit, forgiven by God to be the hands and feet of Jesus in their cities. This was in the mind of God from the beginning. And God so badly wanted Abraham to trust that God double swore on his own name. This is very, very unique in the scriptures. So, I mean, picture the president. You know, we just had, whatever, last president Biden to swear and put his hand on a Bible. Presidents swear on a Bible. So this is kind of like that, except what's God going to swear on when he wrote the thing, you know? He like wrote the Bible. So uh, he swears on himself uh, as, if he, as if he needed to because God can't lie anyways. And that's what the author picks up on. Look at verse 16. He says, people swear by someone greater than themselves, like Biden on the Bible or Trump on the Bible or whatever. People swear by something greater. And the oath confirms what's said and ends the argument. But because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath, and it's on himself. So why would God do that? If God can't lie, if God can always be trusted, why would he do a double swear? Promise and then swear his promises, right? I promise, promise. Verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, that's the double swear, by the promise and the promise on the promise, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope, the cord, we may be greatly encouraged. God swears on himself, not because he wants his words to matter more, 
His words are always perfect. He doesn't do it for himself. He does it for you. God double swears on your future that he will bring about because you forget. And I forget. And he wants you to be greatly, quote, encouraged in the present. So that future, that future end of the chord suddenly has nuclear force and powers the present moment that you're in where you can now live with the hope that's called alive hope that's different than just picturing a silver lining or an optimistic future. This is not optimism. Biblical hope is not optimism because we tried that in 2020. It didn't work. This hope is so real that it animates your soul and one day it will lift your body out of the ground. So, so God promises to be with you and to fill you with the spirit and to raise you from the dead and he swears on himself it'll happen and, and this creates the basis for your hope in every circumstance. Look at the last verses, verse 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. I, I don't care how strong Jason Wyatt is. If we anchored that other end of that cable to the foundation of this building, he'd just get bloody hands, you know? If he kept pulling and pulling, nothing's gonna budge. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, somewhere you couldn't go, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He's become our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek's this very unique Old Testament character, also from the life of Abraham, who happened to be a priest and a king before there were any Israelite priests and kings. Very mysterious. Pointing toward who God has always intended to be for you. Someone who's a royal king and a priestly sacrifice that you could never be. But because he brings you into his family, he makes you an inheritor of royal daughterhood and royal sonhood, forgiven by his sacrifice. Therefore, your hope is sealed. That's the hope you're invited into this Advent. Do you believe this? Here's what this means. In your current moment of pain, there is hope. In your grief and loss, now there is hope. And Claire Booth Luce, Congresswoman, was right. For followers of Jesus, there is no such thing as a hopeless situation. Why? Because God has sworn on himself. As followers of Jesus, he's our forerunner, which means because Jesus was, faith, was faithful to his father and death, followers of Jesus are forgiven, loved children of the Father forever. And because Jesus rose from the dead, what happened to Jesus will happen to you. You will rise from the dead. And that is not optimism. That is not some bright future circumstance. That is a remade world that the prophets and New Testament writers call the new heaven and new earth of which you are already a citizen. Nothing can remove your belonging there. That's the substance of real hope now. Not optimism, it is power. It's alive. Just look at the final scene of the Bible to see your future. Pay attention to the way the author describes your future. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There's quotes around that because he's quoting Isaiah. 
The prophets saw this hundreds of years before. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He, and look at this, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write it down for these words are trustworthy and true. This is trustworthy and true. Do you hear this? It's like the writers of the Bible. It's like God, he understands how untrusting we are and how naturally hopeless we tend to be. And it's like, it's like the, the scriptures and Jesus and the spirit, they know how much we struggle with hopelessness. And the biblical authors are very much aware of all the suffering and all the grief and loss that all of humanity will, Jesus said, you will have suffering and the mental illness and the sad Christmases and the empty dining chairs at Thanksgiving and the broken relationships and, and all of that. It's like, the, it's like the Bible gets that. And, and, and it's like the writers understand we have a hard time seeing a future where every sad thing comes untrue and, and every tear gets personally removed by our Messiah. It's like they know how hopeless we're prone to be. And so Yahweh says to Abraham in the first book, I swear on myself. And the writer of Hebrews says, even though it's impossible for God to lie, he still swears a double promise. I promise, promise. I was taught not to do that by my parents, by the way. I was told just to let my yes be yes, but God's like, that's what I normally do. And it's always true. But this time you really need to listen because you forget. I promise, promise. And then the last scene of Revelation John, the revelator, he's writing this book and he knows we feel like it's too good to be true. He knows you feel that. And so he says multiple times in the last chapter, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. Multiple times. And to quote the last line of the Bible, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Can we all say that last line of the Bible together? Amen, come Lord Jesus. That church family is the heart of Advent, the coming, the Advent of God. So take heart, hope in the words of God this Advent, and hoping and waiting. Remember, same word, they go hand in hand, and the waiting is tense. It's supposed to be tense. Wait on the Lord. Let that future promise pull you forward into the tension of Advent. And here's what that means also, is that we go into a world of pain with hope. Hope to share. We bring the message of Jesus that there's always, always light, no matter how dark it feels for our neighbors. No, there's always hope, no matter how dark your mom's situation is. Yes, 2020 was hard. 2021 didn't get a ton easier. Maybe you're like, I'm just dreading 2022. <laughs> you're like, what is 22 gonna bring? Maybe you're bracing yourself. Listen, whatever happens, the gift we as a church, the gift we have to offer San Diego this Christmas is not just we're gonna have a nice Christmas or we're gonna go through an Advent booklet. 
We are bringing hope, you guys. We are God's hands of rescue in our city. We bear witness to Jesus in a world that's honestly in a ton of pain right now. And to do that, we have to be people who are in touch with our own losses. It's easy for a hope sermon to lean into the triumphant silver lining territory a little too much and to ignore the giant present force feels really strong and it sucks right now. To bring people into authentic hope and grieve with them, we have to be a people who are in touch with our own grief. Our hope is not just triumphalist and ignoring pain, not at all. Pete Scazzaro says it this way, the degree that you can grieve your own losses is the degree that you'll be able to grieve with others. The church needs to be a place for grief to thrive. Compassionate people are those who've cried the most tears because they understand loss in their own experience and they can bring hope to others who are experiencing loss. Jesus was that way, you know this. Jesus was the most hopeful human who's ever lived and the scriptures also describe him as despised, rejected, and a man of sorrow familiar with pain and the most hopeful person. So Jesus leads the way in this. His cord of hope was perfect, in perfect tension, fully present, fully believing in God's future. And it empowered him to be faithful in the present moment. So if we're not feeling, if we're not compassionate, we won't be equipped to weep with others and lead them to Jesus. So as we move toward a time of prayer and song, I'm going um, to lead us in a time where we're going to embody hope as a gathering, starting with two minutes of just silence, two minutes of waiting on God. And if you've never been in a large, larger gathering and just been in silence, it can feel tense. That's the idea. That's Advent right there. So we're going to embody this. And as we do, I want you to ponder something. What is your role as a hope bringer? What is your role as a hope bringer this Christmas? What are the losses around you? What's the pain that's near you? It might be in you. Like pain in your own life, which is fine. Bring that to God. It might be coworkers, families, neighbors, friends. It may be uh, one of the tragedies in the news that gripped your heart this week. Whatever it is, bring it to God and ask him, what is it you want me to do this Christmas to bring hope here? Maybe God brings that friend to your mind or that family member. Just, just hold that person. Maybe you're like, I don't know what to say. I don't even know how to pray. You don't need to. Hold them. Imagine Jesus across from you at a coffee shop and just hold them in front of Jesus for two minutes. Whatever it is, I'm going to actually set a timer. And Michael, you can go ahead and just bring in the keys and create a vibe. And uh, just hold that grief before God and bring it to him. Two minutes together.
So remember Hebrews. Jesus is our forerunner. He went ahead of us in this. He grieved ahead of us and he hoped ahead of us. He knew grief and he knew joy. He knew the cross and he knows living hope because God raised him from the dead. So, so, so having spent two minutes just holding our grief before God, as a follower of Jesus, know this too, what happened to Jesus will happen to you. One day you will rise from the dead. And until then, right now, you have the same spirit that filled Jesus, filling you to bring his hope to those places of pain. So right now, we're gonna start singing. We're gonna sing songs about specifically Jesus. <laughs> we don't wanna make any mistake about who we are about here because he is the tether. He's the firm, secure anchor of hope. And so we're gonna open the room up at the same time for prayer. For, we call it ministry time. Um, and, and to the right and left up front, there'll be people that would love to pray hope over your life. So there's a continuum here of despair and hope. From despair all the way to like excitement and hope. There's a continuum. And we're not all super hopeful. We're not all super despairing, right? Some of us are in the middle. And if you're leaning more toward the despair end of the spectrum, come on, receive prayer today. We would love to pray that God reveals something fresh about his promise that he swears by himself to you for. Um, so maybe you're not fully despairing, but you're like, man, this is hard. Let's all stand together and let's, let's take a deep breath and allow the spirit to minister to our souls. Come receive prayer. You're in a season, you just need to be carried. Let us carry you. Let us carry you to Jesus. You don't even need to verbalize a prayer request. Just come receive prayer. God wants to remind you of how trustworthy he is. So let's sing and let's pray. Come on.